The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. Uh, right now, though, I'm joined by Conor Gallagher, who is the author of Is Ireland Neutral? The Many Myths of Irish Neutrality. He is a crime and security correspondent uh, with the Irish Times as well. Conor, you're welcome to the show. Um, I told a friend of mine, you know, I was reading the book and he suggested it could be a very short book with one page and one word with the word no uh, printed on it. Thankfully, you've, you, you resisted that temptation. Uh, and and uh, there's much analysis and anecdote uh, in it. Um, I suppose we should start with where you start in the book, which is actually trying to define the parameters of the question. Neutrality means different things to different people. Yeah, it's like trying to 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 to, to, to nail cheese to a wall or whatever that phrase is. You know, it, <laughs> it, it's the first task. Obviously, was yeah trying to uh, find the definition of neutrality and then asking does Ireland meet that definition? And it was really difficult because. Uh, you know, neutrality is a concept recognised in international law in terms of, you know, there's obligations and, 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 and duties and rights of neutral uh, states, but there's no set definition of this state as neutral. I mean, uh, uh, technically speaking, neutrality, and when you talk about international law, is something that only uh, has any meaning during a war. You know, the Hague Convention of 1907, that applies to uh, during a war. So this whole idea of being neutral, you know, permanent neutrality is uh, relatively undefined and we have certainly made it our own with our uh, military neutrality which is probably the most narrow definition of neutrality that exists anywhere in the world and basically means we're not in NATO and we're not in an EU common defence alliance and little more. But I guess even the claim to not be in NATO and have nothing to do with uh, common EU defence, I mean, that's not quite as straightforward either, which you get into and we might get into in a moment. I mentioned some of the anecdotes. Um, I mean, there's, there's, there's this narrative that is peddled by some that kind of the concepts of Irish neutrality um, kind of go all the way back to the days of Wolf Tone and, and, they, and they, they were cherished by those who, who who took to the GPO and who founded the state. But I mean, to give a sense of of actually how unsure the, the free state was in terms of its position in the world and, and neutrality and, and how that relates to the state, you have this great story about Major General J.J. Ginger O'Connell in the early days of the state. Tell me about him. Yeah, so Ginger O'Connell was obviously a key figure in the the War of Independence, and uh, and he was the, the 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 one of the most senior officers in the the National Army. And just a couple of weeks after the the Anglo-Irish Treaty was signed, you know, the thing that caused partition and all the trouble we're still dealing with today, uh, he was dispatched on a mission to Paris. Uh, um, an official mission, it seems, where he met with a very senior uh, French intelligence officer and proposed uh, an alliance between France and Ireland, a military alliance against Britain. And this was just just after we'd signed the, the Anglo-Irish Treaty, before the start of the Civil War. Um, they said, oh, yeah, we'll take a look at it. <laughs> uh, he came back again and kind of pushed it harder and he said, listen, Ireland can be really beneficial to France. We can help you outflank uh, the Brits, you know, we have a, a massive uh, diaspora worldwide, which could be helpful for managing public opinion in the States and whatnot. Again, the French were like, ah, don't call us, we'll call you kind of thing. Um, at the time, they were still very, very close with, 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 with Britain. Um, but there was a perception, wasn't there, that uh, kind of, you know, the, the Brits and the French had been at it since 1066 and, and they would go back to 
being at it of not long afterwards. Yeah, no, and, and this, I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, very unusual that France and, and Britain haven't been at war in, <laughs> in, you know, in the broad historical picture. You know, there really should be a war every 50 years between France and Britain, but there hasn't been, you know, thankfully. Um, I, I, but, I mean, it, it speaks that kind of anecdote, and it, it, it's right at the start of the book. I mean, it, it, I guess it speaks again to um, how unclear the, the the picture was, and the picture then remains unclear right up until because I want to ask you about someone else, which is Lieutenant Colonel Ray Lane. Right up until two thousand and seven, he had a very elevated position in Afghanistan, mm. representing the Irish Defence Forces. Mm. What was he doing over there? So, uh, as we all know, uh, America and its allies invaded Afghanistan in the aftermath of 9-11. It had a UN resolution, although some people would argue that didn't justify the invasion. But regardless, this was a much less controversial war than Iraq, at least at the time. And Ireland actually, because it had a UN resolution, Ireland contributed troops, uh, a handful of troops, uh, 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 um, to ISAF, the international... uh, something Afghanistan sorry I forget what it stands security for security and something else exactly yeah. yes yes and uh, and w- one of the areas where we were able to contribute troops uh, such as same as with Ukraine today actually is ordnance disposal uh, mine clearing um, dealing with IEDs and that sort of thing and Ray was was and, and, and is one of the best in the business at that Ray was head of the ordnance school uh, which is you know basically uh, incorporates the bomb squad uh, so he was sent over and he was you know, our image of peacekeepers is sometimes unfairly uh, these lads go over and build orphanages and maybe stand at a post for hours at a time and and, 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 and do very little else. Uh, that's not that's not fair, but that's maybe the image. Ray was in the thick of it. Ray was in operation rooms as they were taking out Taliban bomb 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 makers. Um, he was at the kind of tip of the spear in offensive uh, operations as well as uh, trying to uh, engage or uh, organize uh, defensive operations and mitigations against the IEDs, which were having a huge casualty rate among the uh, the uh, US and, and British forces at the time. Yeah, uh, ISAF, uh, International Security Assistance Force. Yeah, it's so, in the book. Uh, it's yeah. in the book. But I, I love as well, he, he called the exercise because he was the Chief Operations Officer uh, on part of the counter-IED programme, but he called it Searsha Nua yeah. to really annoy the Brits. I, yeah, like, yeah. I like that anecdote as well. But why I wanted to bring it up is, isn't is because I, I'm not sure any of us want to live necessarily in a society where kind of we've got the equivalent of SEAL Team 6 and members of the Defence Forces are somehow celebrities. But at the same time, uh, that kind of ostrich-like approach, if that's the right way to describe it, to neutrality or to our position in the world, means that as a society and as a state, it's very difficult then to recognise the the works of of people like Ray Lane. Absolutely, yeah. And there's, I think going back to the Civil War, there has been a a, a reluctance, both on the political level and on the societal level, to uh, big up the army too much or the defence forces uh, too much as in you're great peacekeepers but we don't really want to hear about it too much when you actually do have to pull the trigger or whatever I mean take Shadowville for example you know uh, a a, a masterly uh, successful defence that's actually taught in in, in military colleges worldwide of a perimeter um, and they didn't lose a single uh, person thanks to the the leadership of of, of Commandant Quinlan and when they got back they were derided as cowards and Shadowville Jacks or whatever, you know, you take actually even more recently, you know, you've had Irish soldiers, say, involved in UNDOF in uh, in Syria 
um, who've been involved in the rescue of fellow peacekeepers, you know, where weapons would have been used and offensive action would have been taken. But the defense forces and the government would be very, very reluctant to make heroes of, of, of people. And, you know, I think there is actually a good part of that. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, I think, you know, there's the whole idea of not being a militaristic society or whatever. The other side of it is, though, a, a lot of actual bravery goes unrecognized. Like Private uh, Billy Keaton, uh, who, uh, uh, his anniversary of his death in 1999, this was a hero. He went in Lebanon and uh, warned everyone that the Israeli mortars were landing down and it cost him his life. And he never got a medal. You know, there's, there's a reluctance even within the Defence Forces to acknowledge bravery, I think. Uh, 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 the 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 use of neutrality as well as the cloak of convenience is obvious as well uh, in in the book uh, and no better man than uh, Charlie as well around the Falklands when he kind of uh, threw caution to the wind and threw neutrality to the wind in the initial days and then suddenly the Belgrano goes down public opinion swings against the war and suddenly Ireland is a neutral state d- deeply deeply held position. I, I thought that was one of the most hypocritical kind of uses of neutrality, you know, right before the Falklands, you know, uh, in his meetings with Thatcher, uh, Charlie was pushing for a bilateral defence alliance, which he hoped might help end partition. Um, Thatcher basically told him to get lost. You know, if you want the defence alliance, you can join join NATO. And Charlie was really angry about that. He was also really angry that Thatcher had excluded him from the hunger strike uh, efforts to, you know, uh, uh, bring the hunger strikes to an end. So when uh, the Falcons were invaded and uh, sanctions were imposed, uh, you know, on a, a European level, on Argentina, Charlie, uh, uh, you know, uh, basically withdrew Ireland from those sanctions, even though, you know, we'd always been happy to engage in sanctions. These were European sanctions. Part of it was because he hated Thatcher or he was angry at Thatcher. <laughs> Part of it to shore up uh, his Republican base in, yeah. in Fianna Fáil. Um, listen, it, it's a really timely book because uh, eventually it looks like the ostrich is pulling its head from the sand and we are as a, a as a society examining what it does mean uh, to be neutral. I won't give anything away and tell people the answer, but you do come back to those definitions and, and how and where we have failed them or met them throughout the years. Uh, but, you know, th- there is a job of work to be done, I think, in, in, in a, for all of us in understanding what it means, you even you cite a poll, I think, a recent enough poll, um, it was a political one, which would suggest that about 5% of Irish people want us to remain neutral and want us to join NATO at the same time. Yeah, it's just the limits of polling, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. But like neutrality has really strong support, up to 80% in polls. But if you ask them, ask Irish people more specific questions, like what about a European defence alliance or what about joining NATO? It can be more like 50-50, still a majority against it, but certainly not like 80% against it. So which says to me there's a lack of agreement at least or understanding about what neutrality is. Yeah, well, listen, the war in Ukraine has changed everything and we've got this forum coming up and I see today Sky News a story about RAF typhoons uh, intercepting Russian aircraft uh, over British skies, which they do over Irish skies and I know you've been writing about that in the paper as well. So for all of those reasons, it is timely, as I say, Is Ireland Neutral? The Many Myths of Irish Neutrality by Conor Gallagher. It is published by Gil. Uh, Conor, we wish you the best of luck with it and thanks a million uh, for joining us here. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.